Welcome to Rise with Hope, Hope Sheds Light's weekly podcast. Join us as we tackle the real issues, share actual stories, offer a little strength, and provide a whole lot of hope to families and our loved ones impacted by addiction. Today I'm here with Ron Rosetto. He is the president, the board president of Hope Sheds Light. He's also the original founder. I know we always talk about the three guys, but I think Ron was, you know, the real inspiration behind starting Hope Sheds Light. And I'm excited today for you to get a chance to know him, hear from him and learn more about what uh, what went on in his family journey and why opening Hope Sheds Light was so important to him. So welcome, Ron. Welcome, Pam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I've already spoken with Stephen Arvo. Um, so I start the session out by just asking you, because not everybody knows you or your story. So as much as you're comfortable, can you just give us kind of the history and what brought you to Hope Sheds Light? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what brought this whole thing together, My unfortunately, my son, Mark, died of an overdose about eight years ago. And um, like like Arvo and like Steve, it was a battle for years. And I have two sons, Mark and Michael, and, and both were heroin addicts probably for about 15 years where they started off with pills and then eventually graduated to, to heroin, you know, in pill form and snorting it. And then eventually, you know, they were shooting up. And you know, as a parent, you know, my son passed away at 32 years old. So he probably um, started his addiction uh, back in when he was 15 years old. And, and the same thing for Michael in high school. And, you know, you really don't know the signs because obviously we were new at this. And I really knew nothing about addiction. I knew nothing about codependency and enabling, and I did all of those things, and right. I am all of those things, <laughs> like most of us. Like, you're like right. we all are, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and over the 15 years, you know, you, you watch them uh, fail at sports, fail at school, uh, not having any uh, emotion or, um, 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 you know, to get jobs or anything else. It was just laying around on the couch, looking at TV. Yeah, I'm going to get a job today, maybe tomorrow. And you go through the roller coaster ride. And as a parent, you know, you don't really know what's going on. So after a while, you figure it out. And eventually, you know, you, you talk to someone who's a professional. Let me ask you, I'm going to interrupt you right there. How long do you think Mark was using drugs before you really knew what the problem was? Like, how, how many? I would say years, probably years? a couple of years couple at years. least. Mm -hmm. um, my wife, my first wife, because obviously this this disease did not do well for my first marriage. Mm -hmm. um, she picked up on it sooner, and I didn't. Right. Probably because maybe I was working, I was out of the house, I wasn't spending as much time with with Mark and Michael, and um, it just took me a little bit more time. And then you know you go through denial. And then you try to fix it, right. you know, and you're bringing them to everyone who, you know, you think, you know, um, and, and nothing worked, you know. Was this your first kind of experience with <coughs> drugs and alcohol? Or do you have 
Yes. My my family, you know, really didn't have alcohol in my family. And if there was addiction, and I guess my father worked all the time and then and I inherited that. Right. Um, but no, we were lucky enough not to have the addiction in our family, whether it was alcohol or right. you know, so or, you really this really took you by it, a storm and surprise. And, it was total yeah. surprise and, and I had no clue. Um you know, going th- they were really, really experts at hiding it, you know, and even when we wanted to drug test them, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they would go as far as having like urine samples hidden in the closet, you know, in the little camera cases, those little round black things with yeah. the gray tops on it, uh-huh. you know, and they would have it in their pocket and, you know, they can fool you really easy. I know. After a while, you became an expert, but it took me years to get to that point. You know, so we started with the detox and they would go to detox. They would come home a week later. They're back again. So it was a 15 year roller coaster between detox centers and and rehab. And centers. they used together your sons? They used together. How, who Who's older? Uh, Mark is 16 months older okay. than Michael. Mm-hmm. And then you start noticing things missing in your house. You know, you start to see all of a sudden your CDs are missing, mm-hmm. um, jewelry's missing. Um, you know, you had $50 in your wallet. Now you only have 20, you know, and just gradually it got worse. You know, then eventually, you know, I, I had a, a, a pistol that I used to use at the target range and I had it in a, in a, in a locked cabinet. Mm-hmm. Well, my son, Michael, found it and he took the gun and sold it. And the local police found it in Newark, New Jersey. Thank God no one was hurt. Uh, and he did that to buy drugs. You know, then I come home one day and the TV's gone. The stereo's gone. So, you know, it got to the point where it's like, guys, enough. You know, I'm tired of the rehabs. I'm tired of detox. This is over a period of years. I'm tired of uh, you going to jail and me coming visiting you on Sundays and, and dealing with the lunch and you know, what else do you need? Soap and toothpaste. It was a horrible life. Right, right. So, you know, we lived it and we went through it for 15 years. And then, you know, eventually I think the thing that really broke the camel's back and where I started to say to myself, Ron, you've got to stop this and you have to work on you and get you healthy now. Because they actually made me go out of my mind. You know, like after I was divorced, my sons were living with me and they would buy drugs at night. People would come to the house. We had a ranch house on the water Uh and they would do their deals like through the back window. Okay. So, you know, I found that out. I throw everybody out and then I start taking 10 penny nails and nailing the window shut. You know, it's like a prisoner in your own home. Exactly. Yeah. So I says like, this is insane. Right. I can't even believe I'm doing How this. How old were they around that time? Were they after, was older than 18 by then? Or? They Yes, they were probably somewhere in the area of about 17, 18 driving range. Got you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then Mark would, would shoot up on heroin and he'd fall asleep in his car and the police would find him, you know, and then say, okay, you have to pick up your son. He's been arrested. And, right. you know, it, it was just a roller coaster ride with, with both of them with just horrible stories. Half of them I can't even think of right now, but it was a disaster. And finally I changed the locks, threw everybody out, and I said, that's it. Right. And I lived by myself. Uh, life got a lot easier, but still they were my kids and I had to deal with, you know, sending them to rehab, going to program meetings and, right. you know. Um, and so, that. you know, as 
you're a prominent business man in the community, philanthropic. I'm, I, I know you sit on boards. How did you handle what people have described to me and I've experienced myself that, you know, the stigma, the shame or the uncomfortable feeling when it's addiction that's affected your child and not cancer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an uncomfortable feeling. You're definitely embarrassed to talk about it. Um, you know, my business pretty much almost failed. Um, I, I, I remember one time walking around and asking my father for $20 and I was in my 40s huh. and I was totally broke. You know, I lost my marriage, lost the house. My business was failing. And all because of this, this, you know, disease. Right. And finally, you know, I had to say to myself, enough is enough. I'm going to work on me. I went to therapy for seven years. And uh, that's when I started to get better. When I, when I actually, I was never really a program guy where I went to the rooms and, you know, the 12 step stuff. I know about it. And my sons practiced it, and I learned a little bit of it when I visit them in rehab. But I was always like a one-on-one -on -one guy with a therapist who who knew about substance abuse, and that worked for me. That's great. And I mean, whatever works. Did I go to AA meetings and NA meetings? Yeah, we did, but I wasn't really like a program guy. It was like more one-on-one. -on -one. That worked for me. I don't right. know if that works for everybody else. Well, there's, you know, the many pathways concept is pretty popular right now, so... Mm used to be that you only had the 12 step option and now some people are comfortable to say no for me it's individual counseling for me it's you know church for me it's something else mm -hmm. running exercise whatever works whatever works whatever works you for know, you when you start that internal journey though right towards your own healing it and that's when things start to get better you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you start to concentrate on you and and i did get better and i did get healthy and at times I would bring my son, Mark, uh, to therapy with me. Mm -hmm. And I always remember the therapist saying, well, Mark, like, if you continue to do this, what if you overdose someday and you happen to die? Like, what are you like? And like, Ron, how do you feel about that? Right. And I would say, well, look, I, I feel horrible about that. It's my son. Right. I love him. I don't want him to, to pass away. And Mark would always have that smirk on his face, you know, Mr. Know-it-all. And that was the difference between my two sons. One would seek help. The other one always knew what, you know, he knew it all. And the therapist would ask Mark, well, do you want to do this to your father? She goes, no, not at all. I love my father. And, you know, I started to learn about addiction. Right. You know, you're not just going to smack them on the hand and say, stop this. Don't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. It is a disease. I finally learned that. And I started to handle things a little bit differently, even with him. Right. And, um, it, it really worked. He was coming to my office, working for me part-time. I was paying him. He was clean for a while. Mm -hmm. um, we tried the Suboxone thing, the implant, you know, for six months it worked. And it's funny because I remember one of the last times he passed away in uh, 2012 in November. And I remember my niece getting married in June. And it was very important for me, like, it almost felt like this is going to be my last hurrah because I don't know if my sons are going to be around. But right now they're clean. Right. And we spent whatever money we had. We got hotel rooms in Boca Raton because that's where my niece lives. 
We had a great wedding. Mark was clean. Everybody said, Mark, you look great. You're jet skiing. At the time, he was going to Lynn University, but, mm. you know, flunking out because of he his. Was uh, he was still using. Um, and that was June. And then all of a sudden, I saw a decline in July and August. And he passed away in November. And, and you know, I'll never forget. I was in my office and he was talking to me. And I said, Mark, you're high again. You know, like, Dad, again, we have to go through this, you know, like yeah. the old saying, yeah, you know, yeah. how do you know an addict is lying? They open yeah, their yeah. mouth and it's like, Mark, you're slurring your words. You know, your eyes are half closed. You, you can't even hold a pen. And, you know, you're telling me you're not high. You know, right. like you just got out of probation. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's so hard. I wish we could. It's It's really hard because sometimes... If we could get those clear signals before their deep end, right? You know, maybe we could have done some sort of intervention. But right. by the time we really know it, without, without really calling them liars, you know, right? It's they're it's so blatantly obvious that it's almost too. It's too almost late to too help. late. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and and the sad thing for me, and and you know, it, I had to get over this because that was the last time I saw him. I that day, I told my secretary, look. He's going to come tomorrow. I'm going to Florida for, you know, a week and don't give him his paycheck because he's going to take his paycheck and he's going to spend it on drugs. Mm -hmm. And his hand was on the door and he was about to leave because his mother was picking him up. And he's like, Dad, again, I got to listen to this stuff. And that was the last time I saw him. Mm -hmm. He walked out that door and I never saw him again. And then the sad part is when I was away, I got the call that he did die. And when I came home from from Florida and, you know, it, it, it made me cry then and it'll make me cry now. You know, he he finished um, his he had a certification for a course that he was taking and he it was on my chair. He was proud of that. Oh, and he had put it on my chair. Make me cry. Now. So, yeah. And and, you know, it's it's like I just had to tell myself and I could only do that, I guess, if if you were feeling if strong and if you were healthy i said this is not my fault right. otherwise i would have blamed myself mm -hmm. you know and i didn't do that and i and i still to this day won't do that you know it wasn't my fault you know it was his addiction right and you were pain. if you gave his paycheck that day you he know, would have spent, it, would have on spent it on drugs you would have been facilitating his addiction instead of supporting his recovery agree you know, uh, i i know enough about you to know that you always supported his recovery yes, always. it was his addiction that you wouldn't support always and parents struggle we have this currently in the field this kind of ongoing debate about uh, what's enabling is that a bad word is that not a bad word some people think we should get rid of it uh, but it's it's such a personal journey i agree and it's really hard for i hear you saying to know when when they're really solidly on the good path and when they're not. Right. And so it, nobody can judge a parent. I and mean, hopefully you don't judge yourself. I You do for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't call myself an enabler at the time, but I'm definitely an enabler because I just didn't want to give up. And, you know, with it, just a, a, a quick story, mm -hmm. uh, it's a very dangerous uh, uh, addiction as well because he would tell me stories about going into Lakewood or New Brunswick or Newark, New Jersey, where they would buy drugs. And, you know, the guy they're buying it from has a gun on the desk. And, you know, maybe he was dealing. I don't know what, what he was doing, probably dealing. 
And one time I caught him on, on my boat because he wasn't allowed in the house. And mm-hmm. I had a little Sea Ray parked in the, and I, and I saw that somebody was there and it, it was him. And when I went in there, I saw that he was high and I saw that he had a handful of, of heroin, like the bags. Mm-hmm. He must have had his, his habit was probably about, I don't know, 20 to 25 bags a day. And he had, he must have had 50 bags in his hand. I took the bag and I was going to throw it in the water and I stopped. And I said, if I throw this in the water, it's, he's going to die because the, because whoever he bought that from is going to shoot him and kill him. So I gave it back to him. How sick is that? You want to talk about the parent becoming sick and enabling? I gave him the drugs back and said, I I just have to get out of here. And I walked away. Listen, I've had a parent share with me you know, desperately trying to get their child this many, many years ago into treatment when heroin was first becoming a huge problem. And she's, we couldn't get her into treatment. I was just calling everywhere. You know how we, yeah. we do that. I couldn't get them into treatment. And the mom was like, I'm going to drive her to Newark. I'm going to drive her and, and, or I'm going to go me and my husband and we're going to buy drugs and come back because I can't watch her go right. through withdrawal on the couch and get sick right. and not have an option for her. And I, in that moment, I knew I had to stop being a counselor because right. what I, the mom in me was was saying, yeah, go to it. Go to it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and the counselor in me was saying, you can't tell her to go do that. Right. But I, you know, we, this mom was struggling with her daughter in pain on the couch asking for help and we couldn't find it. Right. You love your children. Yep. And, and you will do anything for them. So I think that uh, part of your journey included stories like that and might be why you decided you wanted to open up a nonprofit. Well, after he died, you know, I, I got the call. I came home and it, it was devastating because it was around Thanksgiving and it took me a day to get back because of the flights. And I was just walking around like a zombie. I couldn't believe that this happened. And we had the services at the Presbyterian Church on Hooper Avenue. And it just blew me away, the amount of people that actually turned up. It was like a had to be a thousand people, if not more. And the pastor asked me a question. She said, well, do you want me to talk about this, the addiction? You know, uh, Mark, tell me about Mark and tell me, you know, how much. I said, I want you to talk about everything. And at that time, no one was really talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like Tom River High School North was known as Tom River Heroin High. Um, people in town they had kids that had addiction problems. They didn't talk about it. I said, I'm tired of burying my head in the sand. You have to talk about it. I want these people to know. And and they did. And after the ceremony, I walked out and I looked at the pastor and I said, I, I have to do something. I don't know what it is, but I really need to do something to try to help the community because I don't want to see another parent go through what I'm going through. You know, you go to the computer, you know, you're on the website. And at that time, there was nothing. There wasn't a Hope Sheds Light. You couldn't go on a computer and get resources. Um, you know, I was turning to people I knew locally in the not-for-profit uh, right. world. Uh, United Way and, you know, all the other. And no one really could guide me or tell me what to do. Right. So you were fl- floundering around at yourself. You know, a lot of the rehabs that you went to, they were bad guys. You didn't know it. They took 10,000 here, 20,000 here, 50,000 there. You know, that's how I lost my house. I, I refinanced it to the hilt and just lost it all. So the, the pastor said, I know you're going to do something. And then I went on the website, 
trying to copy and see what other people were doing that lost their sons and that have not-for-profits. And I came across an article, and in the article, it talked about a guy by the name of Steve Willis. <laughs> and he was speaking at uh, Lacey High School at an event. Uh-huh. And I said, I know Steve because he represented my dummy son. <laughs> and I'm going to give him a call. Right. So I called Steve. I said, Steve, you know, I'd really like to do something. I have no idea or no clue what I'm doing, what I want to do. But right. I just want to do something to help the community so parents don't have to go through the same thing that we go through. You know, maybe we can design a website. We can fill it up with resources. Um, then I talked to, I said, we need a law enforcement component. Um, a political component. I talked to the prosecutor at the time. <clears throat> Joe Coronado was just coming on board. He was all in. He was going to help. Then I spoke with the local mayors. I spoke to um, local blue, uh, local uh, not-for-profits like Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And basically, I tried to, to create an army of people, you know, because you couldn't do this yourself. Right. And I wanted a, the educational component I wanted the legal component. I wanted the law enforcement component. I wanted something that we could wrap up all together. And and that's how I ran into Steve. So Steve came on board and I, I had known Arvo, you know, since I've been a kid, really. And, you know, we went our separate ways and businesses, who gets married, has kids. And I heard that Arvo's son was suffering from addiction. Okay. So I knew Arvo was a good guy. I knew Arvo was a businessman. He was a good operations guy. And I says, you know, this is the base that that we need to create here between the three of us. And we all have our little strengths. This is going to be a good team. So I called Arvo. He says, I'm all in. And, you know, you'll right after that, Lisa Barley was one of the first people we called Jim Cooney, because he okay. was the mental health component of it. They're all still involved. And too. they're all they're still all involved. Still, yep. And, you know, it's 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 funny because at first we sat around at a table looking at each other, you know, with our notes. And we really weren't sure, like, how to do this. Well, you really did build an army because I know when I came on board, I... I said, well, show me your board members. And you had 40, had 40. 40 people. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, best right. practices is around exactly. 15. Right. You know? That's why no wonder nothing got done, right? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. But, but anyway, we had your army. We, we had our army, and we, we had the base, and we had, we had the founders in place. And from there, you know, we always knew we needed an executive director to run this thing. Right. Because, you know, I always said, look, I'm not an expert at this and I know what I don't know. And it's mm-hmm. a lot. I'm a parent who went through this for 15 years so I can share that experience. You know, we have business contacts, political contacts. So if we need to help raise money and talk to people and create partnerships, we can do that. And and it worked well. Um, you know, and, and then the rest is history. And right. Pam Capacci comes in and. <laughs> And takes us to another level. Thank you. I uh, I want to ba- um, go back for a minute and talk about your son, Michael. Yes. And the impact that losing Mark maybe had on him and where he is today. Because that, I'm sure, is, you know, hope-filled. Yeah. You know, I always say, and, and whenever I share with people, you know, he's the hope side of it. You know, my, my one son, Mark, I got this. I'm the expert. Don't talk to me. I know what I'm doing. Well, you know. He died of an overdose. My son, Michael, even though he was probably worse than Mark, he seeked help. And 
you know, the, the last, after I locked the doors and basically threw them out, mm-hmm. I said, I can't do this anymore. And he called me on the phone and said, dad, you know, I need money. I says, it's not going to happen. It, I'm done with it. And right. good luck. You're out in the street. He goes, well, then I'm going to overdose. I said, well, then if you're going to overdose, overdose. Cause I've had it. Your mother's had it. The family's had it. You've destroyed everything. So, you know, good luck with your right. life. Not really meaning that, because when I hung up the phone, now like I, I can't right. sleep for you a week. You go into panic attack mode, and yeah. So six months goes by, I don't hear from him. There's a knock on the door, and he, he was in Discovery House, and he said, "Dad, I'm done." And and I said, "Okay, I've heard that 15 million times before, right. but mm-hmm. you know, okay. um, you're six months clean now. Let's talk. I'm going to support you, and I'll mm-hmm. do whatever I can to try to help you as long as you're serious." Right. And he goes, Dad, I've had it. I'm serious. I, I want to get on with my life. My friends are getting married. They have jobs. I have nothing. I'm tired of living in the street and being a bum. And a year went by. He was still clean. Year and a half, two years, three years. And today, you know, he has a career. He had a friend that taught him the HVAC business. And I'll never forget that guy because he really took a chance with him. Right. And he does well. And he has a home, he has a wife, he has two beautiful children. And to me, he's a success. Yeah. And I'm proud of him. And, and he, he demonstrates. So we understand sometimes what drives a person to treatment, mm-hmm. being on the street, losing their family, court intervention. Mm-hmm. We hear about that. But what Michael represents is the incentive to stay in recovery. Correct. You know, somebody gave him a chance. Right. That gave him a career, gave him something to hold on to. Then he has a wife. Then he has a house. And now he has kids. Like right. he, building motivation and incentive to right. to stay in recovery is uh, we don't hear enough about that when right. we talk about this subject. Uh, and people need to hear that if you offer that sort of help, it's look at what can happen. That's you know, right. Look at what can happen if you right. if you're willing to miracles can happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So, again, I interrupted you, but I wanted to get that piece in because you have mm-hmm. a, that perfect story mm-hmm. about, you know, the two roads taken with, with your children. I didn't realize that their addiction ran, active addiction yes, ran simultaneously. Did. No wonder you, we, you blew up your you, marriage and your house you, you and your, couldn't, your business. Yeah, there, there's no human being that could live through that. And, you know, again, I was in therapy for seven straight years and... I remember friends like, why are you still doing this? Well, because I had to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and it kept my sanity. It kept me focused. And, um, you know, I live in Tom's River and my therapist was in Red Bank. So every day for seven years, not every day, but every week for seven years, I drove to Red Bank. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a professional like that in my life because she really helped me. So here we are with Hope Sheds Light. Yes. You're growing. Uh, great. And you know, that's great. It's my privilege to be a part of the agency. I don't know of a better board member, frankly, what you were speaking about earlier in terms of leveraging all of your connections, all of your friends, all the other nonprofits that, <clears throat> that you were involved with political connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our, our hair, we have the Italian thing going on between right. me and you, right, which right. is good. We, you know, we relate at that level as exactly. well. You, you know, you look like every one of my, my family your members. Family. Yep. So where do you want Hope Sheds Light to go? Well, it's it's going in the direction that we've dreamed about. I mean, you know, with, with Pam, with you at the helm, 
and the grants that you were able to get and the programs that you were able to bring on board and uh, the establishing the recovery center and the hope garden and just looking at the future with other partnerships. I mean, that's exactly where I, we wanted Hope Sheds Light to go, mm-hmm. you know, and we're in Ocean County, we're in Monmouth County, soon we'll be through the state of New Jersey and who knows someday nationally. Right. I mean, there's no end to what could happen because, you know, even the locals would just say there was never anything like this before. And that always amazed me that no one ever thought about this or at least had the drive or the initiative to stay in it long enough to try to build this this type of program. Yeah, and even from my perspective, so I, obviously I've been in the field 30 plus years and there's a shift towards the peer recovery supports and learning from people's shared experiences. But generally those programs are, you know, the individual who has a substance use disorder, who's in recovery, reaching out to another individual. Our organization is driven by peer support for families. Mm-hmm. That's rare. I, I don't see much of that like, no. as the primary driver. And, and the families, you know, look, I, I give credit to, to Arvo 100% with this because we, in the beginning, were focused on the addiction and we were dr- driven to the addiction. And uh, Arvo kept harping, you know, family, family, family. And when the family meeting started, I saw myself like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Look at look at how these people, I mean, the first meeting, I think we had 60 people. Then it went to 80 people. And on average, it seems that 40 to 50 people are coming to every family meeting, which blows me away. Me too. And, you know, you you have the support in that room. You have the speakers who are educating. And the fact that you split everybody up into three different rooms and then in those rooms, everyone shares and and the magic happens. You know, unfortunately, I don't attend a lot of those meetings because of my business. But whenever I do... I sit in those meetings and I see the magic and just sharing my story. I see that I've helped a grandmother. I've, mm-hmm. I've helped a granddad or a, pa, a father or, or a sister or a cousin or an aunt. And when I come out of there, you know, you're just you feel so good because you've helped people. And they actually come up and shake your hand. A grandmother kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is this is great because, just to share your story. And I think it's a. A safe place for them they can drop the shame they can drop the fear right. they can just relate and they don't realize until they see someone that they can relate to you know they see themselves in you you see yourself in them absolutely and they get to be okay in that hour that they spend with us it, it's the trust and know that you have a support system mm-hmm. you know and that's what it's all about you know the families again if if you get the family healthy the re- everything else is going to work out Totally agree with that. And that's the issue with many. Families don't want to get healthy. They don't want to try. They don't want to try to they get their recovery. Know, or they think they're doing the right, right, the right thing. They think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. You can't do it alone. You have to do it in groups. And to have a support system like Hope Shed Light in the family meetings, it's the most incredible thing that I've ever seen. And it works. It's proven. Yep. So Rise with Hope, this podcast, yeah. started out um, during the... COVID pandemic, we started out with the daily Rise with Hope on Facebook, just as a way to stay connected to our community and to share our self-care practices. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you, like I asked the other guys, do you have a self-care practice or suggestion that you can offer to other families that are listening to us that 
may still be kind of waist deep in this journey and not know what to do to protect or help themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, those programs that, that you started, Pam, are wonderful. I, I watch them on the way to work in the morning. And with everything that's gone on with COVID mm -hmm. and COVID has affected not only us emotionally, but our businesses. I mean, everything is upside down it is. and I'm a strong individual, but I got to tell you it, this, this really got to me mm -hmm. and I found weakness in, in myself going through the past 75 to 90 days. And it's because of all the uncertainty. You just, you don't know you know, if your office and your business is going to still be here. Just like it was back 15 years ago when the, you were going through. Going through yeah. my divorce. Mm -hmm. And to watch the messages that, that were, were, you know, given every single morning on Rise for Hope, it helped me because a lot of those topics were, were great topics about issues that we're going through right now, today, mm -hmm. just like everyone else. Right. So I, I think in the morning if people get up, you watch that message, you feel it. Hey, you know what? I'm not alone. This person feels the same way. And so does everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Like we're not in this, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. just not us. There's comfort in numbers. There's comfort. <laughs> and, you know, you listen to the message and I'm like, okay. So during the day, you know, you think about a few of those things and it carries you through the day and you think about it the next day. And I share it on social media because the message is so great. And I send it to, sh to friends and to my son and to my wife and everybody else because, you know, maybe there's something said in that message that they didn't hear that day and that that could help them. Yes. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that, that I do in the morning. You know, the other thing is if it's a nice day, I go to the beach, I grab my fishing pole, I try to fish, you try to work out. You know, you try to keep healthy and you try to keep busy. Nice. And I think that's, that's probably, that's how yeah. I get through it. That's great. Those are great suggestions. Yeah. That's good. Um, all right. So the theme I'm picking up on is uh, you can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. You know, all three of you said the same thing. Right. You can't do it alone. I mean, even though I said that I went to a private therapist, it still really wasn't alone right. because I did go to AA meetings once in a while. Mm -hmm. I did go to program meetings with my sons every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But most of my recovery for me was my my private therapy. Right, but it's still not you doing it alone. That's you right. Reached out. You I had out I help. had help. Yeah. yeah. So I want to thank you for joining us today on Rise with Hope. I want to especially thank you for opening Hope Sheds Light and reaching out to so many family members across New Jersey. Uh, yeah, this is the beginning. We're we're definitely going to grow. It's a wonderful team. Uh, the greatest people I've ever met in my life and, and it's family. So onward and upward, right? Yep. Cool. You know, we have the us Sicilians, the family thing. That, that's right. <laughs> They're in. They we're can't family. get out. <laughs> now let's go eat. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, right. thank you so much for joining us today on Rise with Hope. Remember, we want to hear from you. You can reach me at rise at hopeshedslight.org. I want your stories, your questions, your input. We will share them. Thank you. If you'd like to support Hope Sheds Light, you can visit us at hopeshedslight.org and join our circle of hope. Remember, we want to hear from you. Share your stories with us. You can reach us at rise at hopeshedslight.org. Till next time.